The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, and Resident Evil Collector. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Is there an international consortium on fruit naming or veggie naming? I don't think so. How do we fi- how do we name things? How do we name fruit? I know? don't I don't know because technically scientists say there's no such thing as vegetables. Have you heard this? Uh, like it's a, it's a culinary mm, term. Mm, I don't like this. No. Like <laughs> like botanists don't name vegetables. They just name plants. And then I, see. I guess chefs need to come up with words for things. Like most vegetables are fruits, really. Uh, like cucumbers are melons, which I don't like that fact. Don't like that. No. And like peppers are fruits. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, my brain's running short on anything else now. But uh, no, there's clearly no naming convention on anything. There's like 900 apples out there. So someone <laughs> out there has got to be like hitting a, a wall very soon. I mean, you even said peppers there. And, you know, there's like peppers. And, and peppers can be – there's a lot of different peppers in terms of just like if you say peppers, does that mean bell peppers? Does that mean not like chili peppers? Does that mean pepper? Like literal ground, ground pepper? pepper? You yeah. know, uh, this – come on. We need new words for some of these. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Because it, it is kind of confusing when you go to grocery stores now. Yeah. the amount of things and like what is everything, you know? Like it's – Because I – when I went to the butter gro- lettuce? <laughs> when I went to the grocery store last – Last week, Neil, uh, I was looking for peas, uh, and I was looking for the the peas that you can just eat, uh, like w- with the shell on. Yeah. Uh, you, well, there's snow peas and snap peas, and I think sh- are sugar peas. Is that, that might be one? a thing too? But so I learned that snow peas are the ones that you can just are the thin ones that you can just crunch and eat, and the snap peas are the little bit the thicker skin. A little bit wider, okay, um, and, and uh, it looks like they have like air in them, like they're, yep. they're inflated. Okay, yeah. So those are those are good. Those are snap peas. In my mind, I thought like snap peas should be like the the thin ones, okay, because it feels like you're, you know, snapping them off. They and both they them. both snap, you know. Yeah, I know, but they could both be called snap peas, just to add to the confusion a little bit. Because <laughs> why snow peas? There's no snow on them. And we were shopping in cottage country too, so I was like, whatever you find is what you're buying. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I could. Get, I'm gonna go even farther into this, Neil. Orange. Okay. You know, just first of all, the name orange is like, you just give up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just, a terrible name for a fruit. What, what came first? What came first? The fruit or the oh, color? Oh, jeez. It's got to be the color. It's got to be the color, right? And then someone saw an orange. It's like, yeah, that's orange. But then why don't, why aren't, what if bananas were called yellow? What if grapes were called purple? What would you call the green ones? Green. <laughs> <laughs> what are microgreens? Microgreens? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Do you know? I've, no. Like, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot of like YouTube videos and articles about like growing your own microgreens. I think you're supposed to put them in All smoothies. Those herbs? Yeah, they're <laughs> kind of herbs. It looks like thin grass that I think you can cut up and put in things. It might taste good. I don't like that. It's really easy to grow, very healthy, and mm. I think you can sell them for like money if you want to. But I've never, I never see them in grocery stores. At least I don't go to the part of the store where they are. I picture them being near the mushrooms, which is another confusing place to go to if you ever go to the mushroom. I just need a regular white button mushroom, but there's a ton of different options. Yeah. Portobello mushrooms are pretty good, but... 
And I mean, going with with oranges again, we talked about this, I think, on a, a very early episode, the difference between clementines, uh, mandarin oranges and tangerines. Yeah, because yeah, I worked in a I worked in a call center for a bit for a grocery store and we did online ordering and people would say, oh, can I get a bag of clementines? And I'd say, oh, we have tangerines. And they're like, this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. Like everyone's like, I don't know what the, what's the difference. I'm like one is smaller than the other. I don't know. Oranges are a strange fruit, man. Got grapes and the naming convention for that. Because we have, in French, um, grapes are raisins. Right. Which is raisins. Which is dried grapes. Yeah. Yeah. That's too confusing for me. Yeah. I, I think I'm out on that. Yeah. Fr- Fr- <laughs> French, French, The French-speaking community and the English-speaking community need to have a talk. Yes. Like palm is apple and then palm de terre is potato. An which apple means potato is ground. apple of the ground. <laughs> I don't like that. Don't like that at all. No, I can't get down with that idea. I mean, at least watermelon is melon dough, literally melon of water. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes the most sense, I think, so far. So we should all just eat watermelon only. That's what it seems like, watermelon only. So Classic fruit. Uh, we are going to either start or write to the F- International Fruit Naming and Veggie Naming Consortium, mm-hmm. um, okay. and uh, we're going to see what happens there. Sounds good. Can't wait to get back to that. Maybe after we finish the GameCube library, Mike, that's what we can... The fruit library? We're going to go through the entire fruit library, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. What's going to be your number one? What's going to be the first fruit? What's what's the uh, the launch day fruit? <laughs> my favorite, my go-to fruit has got to be the banana. Sure. Like, it can go in at, like, so many baked goods. I love banana and oatmeal and, and peanut butter sandwiches on their own. Mm. They're so cheap. You can take them anywhere. But when you take them anywhere, they're only good for about an hour. They go brown real quick in a bag. Well, yeah. Like they, they don't travel well, bananas. They but make delicious, uh, like you said, delicious smoothies, banana bread. Banana bread, yeah. It's great. Banana pancakes. They're, they're good in everything. Jack Johnson's banana pancakes. Fantastic song. Terrific song. What's your what's your number one fruit? Just if you had to if you had to shoot out a fruit right now, what would you say? Gotta be strawberries. Okay. Gotta be strawberries for sure. I love strawberries so much. Specifically Ontario strawberries. Sure. Yeah. We did have an Ontario we had the strawberries talk. We have a fruit talk every couple weeks. Yes. This is how we do. <laughs> Because you you had the different sizes of all the different strawberries, they all call, they're all called something. Yeah, yeah like uh, long wedge. Um, can't remember. Uh, but not buoyant. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. I can't remember now. See who's who's naming those? Cone, cone. Yeah, who, I don't know. So someone someone is. They're all like, it's like the Illuminati is getting together and deciding fruit names. That's what their real purpose is. Yeah, someone's getting paid a lot of money to name produce. What the hell are we talking about here? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the GameCube was Cool podcast, Side Mission Part 7. That's right, we're still doing side missions. Mike and Neil are still on vacation. Don't worry, we will be back next week with our regular content. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We're the number one GameCube or fruit podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12, sometimes none at all. So far, we have covered 314 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Webflow. And Webflow. Last week, we talked about video game box art. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're still not doing any new games. We don't have time. We're both traveling. We're going all around the west end of Canada uh, with our girlfriends, which is a ton of fun. So we're uh, away from the office, but we will be back, like I said, next week to cover some games. Uh, this week we had the idea of sitting down and talking about if Mike and I were to go back in time to, let's say, 1999, Nintendo are in a boardroom. We can also both speak Japanese in this, in this reality, Mm, obviously. Uh, and we're going back in time with the knowledge that we know now, 20 years almost after the GameCube launches, and we're going back and telling Miyamoto, we're shaking him like, like, 
like a crazy person. Here's what you need to do to save the GameCube, Miyamoto. Here's what you need to do to make sure this console succeeds, because if you do what you're planning right now, it's going to fail. You're going to lose to the PS2 and the Xbox. So we have a couple of things here that we want to talk about uh, that would possibly save the GameCube if this is how the GameCube was released. As much as we love the console, we can obviously admit the console was a bit of a commercial flop. The PlayStation 2 sold 155 million units, the Xbox sold 24 million units, and the GameCube sold 22 million units. So obviously there were a few things that they could have done differently to save it. Um, there's great things the GameCube did. So Mike is here obviously right now to talk to me about some of the ideas that he had. So let's ping pong back and forth a little bit. Mike, what's an idea that you think that the GameCube could have had that would have saved it? I think to start it off right away, it's the release window. I think releasing in November of 2001 was quite a risky strategy, in my opinion, because we already had Xbox releasing that. Actually, I think that same week yep. the Xbox came out in North America. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, not a great call to release your, your console right beside the Xbox at that time. I guess so. I mean, like the PlayStation and the Xbox has come out around the same time now, though, and it doesn't seem to bother, to hurt those consoles, right? No, it, it doesn't, but we ha but the PS2 had already come out because also you have to remember the Dreamcast was, you know, was part of this generation. Yeah, that's true, too. Came out in 99, PS2 coming out in 2000, and then we have the GameCube and Xbox fighting for that almost feels like the la that last place. Sure. You know, coming in uh, in 2001. GameCube, I think, could have really benefited benefited by trying to release alongside or around when the PS2 released. The PS2, I believe, released in the summer of 2000. GameCube could have taken the, the, the winter slot, the holiday slot there. That would have been way better. It, it's hard to change release dates of consoles, especially to make them earlier, because there's a lot of R&D that has to of go course. into it, manufacturing. This is our dream. You know, yeah, this yeah. is our, like... To fix it, to make it come out earlier. I agree with that, because by the time the GameCube came out, it's being compared to the other three consoles at this point and it probably didn't look like it comparable with features at least to the other consoles i mean graphic wise it was on par with yep. ps2 and xbox but just with what it could do with no cds or dvd functionality it gets, it gets compared to its competitors a lot yes. so if it had come out earlier i can definitely see that being maybe a slight improvement but if it had done that maybe the console wouldn't have been as powerful or something might might not have been there that we we got instead yeah, perhaps. I, I, I do definitely think that if they were able to release it that year before, mm -hmm. I think they could have taken advantage of a lot of factors uh, at that time in terms of just release windows and the fact that that you at least can can compete with the PS2 for a, a bit of a longer window because the PS2 really started to take off because they did have a quite a weak library when the PS2 first came out. Oh, yeah. The PS2 was terrible for like the first year. Yes. Yeah. And so at least the GameCube, who did have a great launch day... Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I know, again, maybe these games wouldn't be ready by then. But theoretically, if everything was ready to go a year before, right. I think the GameCube would have done a lot better because they had such a good launch day. Oh, my God. I'm just thinking right now is if the PS2 came out with the Bouncer or whatever it was that it launched with, not not too many great games. And then the GameCube like kicks the door in with Luigi's Mansion, Wave Race, Rogue Leader 2, and then Melee a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. That would have killed it, man. I know. Just I to compare those two li launch libraries to each other in their first year. No comparison. And then you don't have the Xbox until a full year later. Yeah. Oh, the Xbox would have been in the dust by then. Yep. Man, that's cool. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. Good one. Thank you. What cool. What's what's your first idea? My first one, you got to make this thing a DVD player and DVD discs. Yeah. Um, the DVD player was a huge miss not being on the GameCube. The PlayStation 2 could do it. The PlayStation 2 is, for most part, a DVD player in a lot of households. 
Uh, if the GameCube could have done that, it would have sold more units. It might not have helped the games out any uh, in terms of games that Nintendo were making. But just for example, the, a DVD disc can hold between 4.7 and 8.5 gigs of data, uh, depending on if it's like the blue bottom or not. The mini discs, which is what the GameCube went with, hold 1.46 gigabytes of data. Oh. So you're looking at like about one-fifth of what a DVD disc can carry. And this really shot Nintendo in the knee because it drove away developers. Uh, developers didn't want to develop games for the GameCube because of the limitations of the discs, really. So I know that they were going to going for these discs because it made it harder for games to be uh, pirated and yeah. to be copied and everything, which Nintendo's always been a huge uh, huge proponent of making sure their games don't get bootlegged. But it was a big problem when the GameCube didn't play DVDs because that's what people love. DVDs were the biggest thing in 2000. Yep. And it helped the PS2. It helped the Xbox. GameCube did put out the Panasonic Cube. Technically, they made like 500 of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, just to put it in comparison, the PlayStation 2 had over 2,000 games. And the GameCube, as we famously say, has 555. That's not a coincidence. Like, that's not luck. That's... The PlayStation 2 might have been slightly easier to develop for, but you have to imagine that the DVD format had something to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I and I I was going to say the same thing with DVDs. I think that's a must of that time. I think mini discs, maybe when they did it, that seemed like a good idea. But like you said, really shot them in the foot. And the other not necessarily reason to not develop these games, uh, but the fact that there was a ton of games that needed two discs. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, over 75 games on the uh, in the library needed at least two discs. That's, that's wild. Yeah. It happened on the PlayStation 2 as well. But not as much, not nearly as much. Even, even as a kid, I remember getting Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2004. That should not be a double disc game. It was a double disc game. It should not be. And I didn't understand I, I, why it was. It, 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 you know, I just, I liked that game a lot, but it did take away a little bit of the experience of thinking, like, why is this two discs? Why do I have to keep changing discs when I go to different missions? Yeah, and Resident Evil 4 does it, which was one of the first games that I played that had that. It was very strange. And I think uh, Lord of the Rings, The Third Age did it as well. So mm-hmm. the, big game, the big games, you might expect it. Like, at that time, it wasn't abnormal to have a double disc game, especially if you were a PC gamer. No. But Tiger Woods makes no sense. And there's, a, you know, there's a lot of them like that. And that's that that is an issue for sure. Yeah. To this day, I would love to pop like a DVD into my into my GameCube and play that because I hate switching between that and the VCR. Yeah, and everything. It would have just made a lot more sense at the time. But that's my first fix for the GameCube, Mike. What's your second one? My second fix is going to be a little controversial coming from me, but uh, I say port way more N sixty four games. Wow, bring over all those N sixty four games that you can, uh, because. Uh, I know you know how much I hate the N sixty four. Right, but it's mainly it's mainly because of the controller. <laughs> yes, I I don't like the controller. Uh, but I, I it would have been amazing to see a lot of these games come over to, uh, the GameCube. We actually didn't have very many. Most of the games that we had come over to uh, that were from the N sixty four were games that weren't even developed for the N sixty four, or they were on the N sixty four DD. Or there was the Zelda games that came over on more than one occasion. Yes, but that's. That's really it, though. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of... Because I'm thinking now, think of uh, the Wii. We took over a lot Lots. of GameCube games. Uh, think of the Switch, who is taking over basically all of the Wii U games, uh, the good ones at least. There was a big opportunity to take things like Banjo-Kazooie over, uh, things like uh, Perfect Dark. I mean, I'm thinking of the rare games here, yeah. obviously. But there, there's a, a ton of really great uh, N64 games that someone like me really missed out on because I didn't own an N64. Yeah. And it, from Nintendo's perspective, N64 sales-wise was a failure. Right. And so you would assume at the beginning of a of a new console, you're thinking this is 
selling relatively well at first. We have some good games. We have some good marketing. We have some good traction here. Let's start getting some of these N64 games over. This is definitely going to sell more than the N64. Right. Obviously, it didn't. But uh, I think that would have been something that would have at least helped it uh, go in the right direction, I think. Definitely. Nintendo wasn't big yet on porting games yet. Like, the... The SNES had a few NES games on, or like just the Mario collection, really. I'm trying to think of any other ports that the SNES had from the NES. And then the N64 had almost none yeah. from the old from the older systems. Uh, the, the handhelds was where Nintendo was really starting to get into porting with the Game Boy Advance, having a bunch of SNES and NES ports coming mm-hmm. on it. So it's strange that they didn't shift over the, that mentality to consoles. I think you're right. Having N64 games and even Super Nintendo games, like bring up Super Metroid or yeah. something, you know, bring up some of some of those other games, uh, like just ran like Zombies Ate My Neighbors, just random little goofy games that would have been really neat to have on GameCube. I think that would have been a lot of fun. They got yeah, they they really started to do it a lot in the Wii, and there's too many on Switch. I I like the the whole port. Uh, I guess the port community around games or, or the port mentality of bringing back old games. I feel like N64 to GameCube might have been a little too recent. Because there was a lot of kind of uh, overlap between the two consoles. Uh, the first year of the GameCube, there were still N64 games coming out. Uh, very, very soon after, like Majora's Mask was the GameCube, like Dr. Mario. Some really good late N64 games were around the same time as the GameCube. So, And, and you couldn't have put like an N64 port on the console itself, like a little slot to put the <laughs> N64 games in. Yeah. That would have been funny. There are a couple that I was specifically thinking of as well uh, that would have worked really well on the GameCube going for more of a mature market. Doom 64 is the one that really stands out for me. That I think that would have been fantastic to put on the GameCube. Didn't work as well on the N64. Could have worked really well on a GameCube, I think, and, and sold well. Um, Body Harvest is another one that would have been really cool to put on there. It's a Rockstar game, right? It is. Yeah. 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 So uh, And and uh, the Turok games as well, which we did get one Turok game on the GameCube, but it would have been cool to have some kind of collection there. Really, um, any of the shooters yeah. on, on, the, on the N64 would have been fun to have. Hey, let's see what it's like with a double joystick, with a dual joystick. Yeah. You know? it, yeah. Which were, because the GameCube, as we know, was made for, like, that was the initial uh, intention, that that game GameCube controller was made for shooters. So it would be great to have things like those games, like Perfect Dark, I said before, another great shooter, a Yoshi Story. Oh, great shooter. Because <laughs> we don't have a Yoshi game on no. the GameCube. No. Uh, even even the Kirby game, uh, Kirby and the Crystal Shards, that could have been a port onto the GameCube, maybe before Air Ride comes out. Like, I, there's a lot of opportunity here that I just think was missed. I think that even if they couldn't have done ports, like having some sort of a peripheral to attach your N64 games to, like the Game Boy Advance player, making something that does that with N64 games, and maybe other consoles like SNES and NES games too. Uh, I love my Game Boy Advance player, and to have other consoles that you could hook up to the GameCube would have made it like the Nintendo Experience machine if they had something along those lines. Yep. That's a cool thing to have done. Great idea. My second idea here to save the GameCube is online functionality. Yeah. Easy one. I think that's a must. Must. Must have on the GameCube. The PlayStation 2 could do it. The Xbox could do it. The Dreamcast could do it as well. They could both easily connect to the internet with a simple Ethernet port and games that had online functionality. The GameCube did have this. Technically, there was an Ethernet adapter to the bottom, but it wasn't utilized at all, really. Only for Fantasy Star Online. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that there is a port on the bottom of your GameCube that you can hook up to the internet if you have a special adapter, but no one used it. 
Um, famously, in on February 9th, 2000, Miyamoto said that he was interested in online gaming, but Nintendo would only get involved with it if they developed a unique approach to the idea, not just because others were doing it. And I don't like that, that they were only holding off from the internet because that's what Sony and Microsoft were doing. Like, they wanted to have their own special spin um, on it, which Nintendo always seems to want to do, like with their online chat uh, options, like with the Wii and DS. It was all through the Miiverse, which was just dumb. Uh, even now uh, on Switch, the way that you do voice chat, they've said is to like connect through with the your app. phone and your app and Discord even if you want to. Like They always seem to want to do things differently, and sometimes it's okay to do things like your competitors are doing. It's okay, Nintendo. It's okay, Nintendo, to just maybe not cop. Well, you're technically copying, but like there would have been so many fun games to play online in the GameCube generation. Double Dash, Melee, We Love Nightfire, like just the list goes on. They had Call of Duty. They had all the sports games. This would have probably saved the GameCube, I think, if you could have played games online. People were doing it in, in the 2000s. I remember friends playing Splinter Cell and, and Halo Online. Halo Online was massive. Like imagine being able to play like a Metroid Prime style game online with a friend. I think this is such a big point uh, because not because everyone was doing online because like, Nintendo could have gotten away with it. It's more the fact that because they marketed it so hard as a mature console for you know not just for kids, not just for casual gamers, but for real gamers. We're bringing we're bringing back our gamers. Well, gamers at that time, you know, online functionality was a big thing. PC games were a big thing. That was where people were going, especially hardcore gamers. You're not going to get them playing on the GameCube. No, you know, it, not with that. It was clear as day that that's where video games were going yeah and even the wii struggled with online like nintendo yes. has always struggled with online i mean their first shot at it was really the wii and it was not great there is land support with a lot of games that we've talked about uh, double dash does it kirby's air ride did it but no one was carrying their game cubes and tvs and and land adapters to friends houses. But you had a handle neil it had a handle but like your t your crt tv that weighed 50 pounds didn't so yeah, I would have loved to. Have, I would love to see uh, a GameCube that supported online much better than the the workaround that they ended up with. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a must for sure, uh, especially when the Dreamcast yeah can do it. Like, mm -hmm. come on, a, a Dreamcast can do it without an adapter too. I know, I know. It makes me mad to think about it now. But Mike, what is your third idea to save the GameCube? I'm gonna keep going here on what the topic we talked about with mature gaming, and personally, I think Nintendo, you got to change your marketing. Change your messaging. Market it as a console with everything for everyone. What Nintendo has always been strong is that. Because I think not having online, not having good developer support, having mini discs instead of DVDs, this all hurt your opportunities to make this uh, a mature console. Mm -hmm. the, the attempt was there, especially at the beginning, but it very quickly faded away. Yes. Uh, and uh, they, you know, because they marketed it so heavily in that direction and kind of had to do... A, a bit of a 180 and then a full 180 with the Wii. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they they should have realized pretty early on that there was no way they were going to be able to feasibly uh, keep this up, keep this mature style of gaming up. Yeah, to have a successful console, you really can't target a single age demographic. Like it seems like the most popular consoles of all time seem to appeal to the broad audience. And as much as I don't like the Wii because it seemed to span too far into like sen from seniors homes to kindergarten classes really yeah. the Wii was everywhere and the game suffered for that like most of the Wii games did not sell super well and there was a lot of shovelware on that when you start to get consoles that sell to too many people much like phone games if there's too many people playing them you're just going to get so many games and just so much crap um but yeah it was it's kind of funny to look at how the GameCube changed their messaging from the beginning it was an M-rated console we're going to be for teens which is a very small 
target group of people who don't have a ton of disposable income yet um, to go after them. But you put out this purple console with colorful buttons. And like we covered in our M-rated episode, Mike, like the majority of those M-rated games came out in like the first two years, mm-hmm. I think it was. Like yep. by, by 2003, there weren't any. No. Uh, except for maybe the odd Resident Evil game uh, coming out that might have been rated M. Most of those M-rated games were just in the first couple of years and they weren't very good. No, no, and that's the thing. And and what what even what surprises me even more is the fact that Nintendo did try and go this mature route already with the N sixty four, having having you know darker games on there like the games I talked about before, as well as you know Conquer's Bad for a Day. Yeah. Um, and they they clearly were going that route, and it wasn't working that well. The N sixty four sold less than the SNES. Right. So you would have assumed that they would have tried to change their messaging a bit. Uh, or, you know, like I said before, how, uh, taking some of those mature games on the N64 and putting them on the GameCube yeah. to at least try and push that, If even if you get can't get third-party developers to help you out in that sense. So I think they, they, they Nintendo has always been a family-first console uh, and family-first company, company and yeah. it always will be. It, it never cannot be, right? It just, that's the way it is. And I think they made a big mistake kind of putting all their eggs in one basket uh, way too early because they were, you know, we've said this before, it was the last time Nintendo tried to directly compete with the other consoles. And by doing that, they they did shoot themselves in the foot. And I think it was a lot of fear, Neil. I think it was a lot of fear. That, and that's why they went to this this demographic uh, attempting to, you know, making the controllers that it could be for good for shooters. Um, uh, Even though they made it in a wonky way, like you said, colorful buttons, a weird controller for the time, great controller, but strange uh, at least. Yeah. And it it didn't, it it just, it didn't hit like they wanted to because honestly, no matter what they would have done, it never would have. Do you think that the messaging of them trying to be a mature console or a mature company came, came through to consumers? I don't think so. No, I don't either. Because uh, we had uh, our friend of the show, Nicola, who came on, uh, and and she talked about how her parents bought her the GameCube because uh, they just knew Nintendo is the fan. Like, that's the family-friendly console. Like, we'll buy you this. Even though she had all the James Bond games, she had all these, like, shooter games and stuff like that, it was still known, like, for her family as, like, this is the game that you can play with your brother. Right. Like, this console, it's going to be fine. Like, it it had Duck Hunt on it. It had Mario on it. It has Zelda on it. Like, this, like I, I can get this for my kid. I, I trust them, even though it has, you know, even though they're playing Resident Evil 4 and Call of Duty on it. Like, they, they, just, they just trust Nintendo that they're going to put out games that are good for their kids. It's almost like if like if Disney tried to put out some sort of a marketing campaign that they're now trying to appeal to the an edgier audience. Like no one would believe them. It's almost like a nerd in high school trying to fit in with like the the, like the drug dealers or whatever it is, <laughs> the you know, popular like, kids the, or, or the popular kids. Like, you know, they might be in that group, but like you still see them as the nerdy kid with the popular kids. So it's kind of the same thing where N- Nintendo was trying to fight outside of its weight class and, you know, no one's really listening. It's it's almost like, it's funny that you bring up Disney with that. You know, I think of Disney Plus today and how they have their Disney Plus library, but then they also have, I believe it's the Star Library, which is most of the 20th Century Fox stuff, which right. is the adult um, style uh, like comedies or, or dramas on there, like Modoc, which we we both love. That show, yeah, it's not a it's it's a Disney show, like in quotes, but it's not a Disney show, right? right? You right. you can't even find it if you have the filters set up, which are to not show, I guess certain levels of uh yeah. of like t-rated or whatever yeah i learned that a couple of weeks ago that you can turn off you can toggle if you can see r-rated content on your disney plus account which obviously the default is no rated r content you have to turn it on 
And it is strange, like, even today when you, like, see an ad for Disney Plus on a bus stop or something and you see, like, Mickey, a character from Frozen, and then Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. It's just really strange how, like, this rated R character is, you know, it's just blood and guns, which these days kids can have access to anyway. Uh, times are much different now, 20 years later. But it, it is kind of strange when you see a company that is so focused on family experiences kind of cross that path over to a more mature content. But my third uh, idea here to save the GameCube was to keep Rare, the Rare company. Uh, maintain your Rare friendship. In other words, do not let Microsoft acquire Rare, which they did not long after the uh, Xbox came out. Microsoft bought Rare. Uh, Rare was basically responsible for selling N64s, in my opinion. People bought N64s in the first little bit to play Mario 64, Mario Kart, and Smash. And then after that, everyone was buying N64s to play GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie, Diddy Kong Racing, all Rare games. And everyone thought that Nintendo was going to buy Rare. And this was the opportunity where they should have. Yes. Because Rare had a bunch of games in the works. They had another Conker's Bad Fur Day. They had another Diddy Kong or a Donkey Kong racing game. Uh, another Banjo game. Banjo 3 would have been on. I <laughs> 3E. forgot. 3E was going to be on GameCube. Um, but instead, Microsoft purchased them and they ended up just making avatars for Xbox Live. That's what Rare was used for when Microsoft bought them, eh? Uh, isn't the, you know what it almost feels like? It, it feels like Microsoft just bought them so Nintendo wouldn't. I think that's what happened. Like, yeah. I think that's what happened. It's, 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 it was horrible to watch. And now they're kind of having a little bit of a resurgence where they made Sea of Thieves which was great. Uh, we got that rare collection on micro- on Xbox, which is a ton of fun. Um, so that, that's been cool. But I just think that Rare and Nintendo fit so well. And there were other uh, publishers and developers that swooped in in this generation. Like I'm starting to learn that Sega really, really came forward in this generation for the GameCube to yeah. help put some third-party games on there. Like we talked about F-Zero. We talked about a lot about the Sonic games are great. All the Dreamcast ports are fantastic on the GameCube. But it just would have been so nice to have had a Banjo 3, another James Bond game, another Conquer game, a Diddy Kong Racing 2, like just all of these N64 games that had such a bright future ahead of them were just squashed when Microsoft bought them. We talk a lot about AAA games on the GameCube and other consoles, but what's even more important than AAA games, I think, is having that AA library. You know, those those games that are just below the AAA, not necessarily developed or published by Nintendo, but created by maybe second party developers and Rare was, that was it. Like, that was huge for Nintendo, making those double-A games. Yeah. And those are extremely important for consoles to sell. You see that with all games, really, today, or all consoles today, especially, I think, of Sony. Uh, Sony does it very, very well. They always have a lot of good, solid double-A games on their foundation. Yeah, like, you think of a lot of Sony games from the past, at least. Now they've acquired them, but are a lot of them are Insomniac. Like, yes. you think Ratchet & Clank, Infamous, now the Spider-Man game. Um, those were all Insomniac games, which Sony did not own up until recently. They bought Insomniac once they started doing the Spider-Man game. Yep. So that's a great, I guess that's a second party developer technically, um, that, you know, Sony, they buy, they, they give them money to make these games for them and then they publish them. Yep. And that, that's what Nintendo needs to do more of because it is getting kind of tiresome to just see that the same Nintendo franchises come out for Nintendo hardware and it's all Nintendo developed and published games. We don't have these rare partnerships. Um, but yeah, you do need to have those those partners. You don't necessarily need to own the studios, but we are living in a in an industry now where a lot of uh, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo are now buying those developers. So they're yeah. technically owned studios, and it's no longer like these, you know, Insomniac could make a game for Microsoft, which they did with Sunset Overdrive. Now it's like everyone's just buying everything, and it's becoming a bit stale, but I'm sure that other d- second-party developers will start cropping up just as they always do. Yeah, no. Rare would have been that would have been huge for Nintendo. That would be that would have honestly, 
I think of all these points, that might be the number one that yeah. to ha- still have rare, we would have that big collection of these double A games. You know, imagine having Donkey Kong Racing. Yeah, and maybe new ones too. Yeah, like maybe rare would instead of their creativity being kind of put towards making avatars for for Microsoft. And I literally mean the avatars that your character looks like, not Avatar: <laughs> The Last Airbender or Ava- James Cameron's avatar. They were making Mies for Xbox, basically, which is such a waste of resources when I think back on all the great memories of Rare games on the N64. So and having Rare goes back to even my thing with N64 ports. Yeah. Uh, easier time with that. Licensing now is never a problem for Nintendo because that's the big problem with all, all those those games that Nintendo probably can never put on a Nintendo console anymore is because of the licenses. Yeah, and we see Nintendo and Microsoft seem to be talking with each other. Like every so often, they have a weird thing. Like like they go on a date. Yeah, they go on a date every so often. They're like they're like friends with benefits. Every like they'll they'll put something on Nintendo. Nintendo will throw something to Microsoft. Maybe I would love to one day see Microsoft say like, hey, you know, t- take these rare games back. You know, put them on your console because that would just be so nice if I could play some of these games on Switch. Mike, what's your uh, what's your fourth one? My fourth one is core franchises. Okay, and that's just what Nintendo should have done with their core franchises rather than what they actually did. So I'm talking about uh, Zelda as my number one. And this is putting Twilight Princess before Wind Waker. I think this would have helped a lot. If they if they did go in this mature style, you know, having Wind Waker in 2003 when they are putting out all these mature games, dark games. That was the first sign that they were giving up on that messaging. It was, right? And I definitely think that if you put Twilight Princess before Wind Waker... I think you would have sold a couple more units. I think things would have gone a little bit better. I definitely prefer Wind Waker to Twilight Princess. Uh, I do like both of the games, but Wind Waker is definitely my favorite. But I think because Nintendo did hype up the GameCube's ability for graphics as well, they showed that Ocarina demo at Space World right before. So you, and it looked like, you know, it basically was the assets they used for Twilight Princess. It just seemed, why didn't they put out Twilight Princess in, in that mature zone that they were in already i think it just it doesn't wind waker just didn't make sense to put out at that time at all and eventually with twilight princess we knew it was coming to wii so at that point like it's not going to sell gamecubes came out in 2006 for gamecube wind waker that would have actually made more sense for a wii yes to to do that crossover to have wind waker on gamecube and wii yeah i i would associate wind waker more with wii than gamecube it would make more sense i love it on gamecube but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It would yeah. have been a good choice to put Twilight Princess out earlier, but we got it late, and it's still a great game on GameCube, but uh, not my favorite. And then my other one is Mario, and I think I think what you have to attempt to do at least is try and launch with Mario, with a Mario game. That's a big one. Um, I know looking back, uh, the GameCube launched with Luigi's Mansion, and that seems great because we love Luigi's Mansion, but people forget that at the time, that was very controversial. There had never been a console without a Mario uh, title when it launched right. uh, uh, for for Nintendo, so that was a bit of a weird one. They had to the fans had to wait a full year basically to get Mario Sunshine, right? And, and it was quite divisive as well when it came out. And it hasn't happened since, right? Well, I guess the Switch launched without a Mario game, but almost every single Nintendo console has launched with a Mario game of some kind. Wii and Wii U, yeah, they did. Wii and Wii U did. The 3DS, the, 3, the 3DS might have missed it. So since the GameCube, the 3DS and the Switch missed Mario games, it seems to be okay for the Switch. They launched with a Zelda. So I think if you don't launch with a Mario game, your next best thing has to be a Zelda. Yes. And then, yeah, launching with Mario's brother at the time, someone who, you know, Luigi in 2001 wasn't really a known thing. They did go for the Dark Mature style, yep. though. I like that at yep. least. So that is nice to, to at least go with their branding in that but i think 
not having Sunshine uh, release with the console or just have a different game other than Sunshine because the other option that I would have put out would be to release Sunshine uh, 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 closer to the Wind Waker's release date. Okay. Uh, so I can kind of put them together. Both very summery feeling sure. games, very similar style art style as well. Would have been cool to put um, Sunshine with it. Maybe put out Mario 128, what they were working <laughs> on uh, as a launch, uh, which ended up kind of being Pikmin right. in a way. So yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think with Wind Waker and Mario Sunshine being so similar, you want to keep them maybe a little separate. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, like just keeping them too close together, it might have been too much like they'd blend together and they're also big games you want you want your fans to to spread them out a little bit almost kind of like how the switch launched with breath of the wild and then seven six or seven months later was mario odyssey i think that was too close yeah Yeah, that's fair and that actually kind of leads me into my point with the gamecube fixing the gamecube is uh, stagger out the launch window a little more within the first few weeks of the gamecube being out we had luigi's mansion we had all of the great launch games uh, wave race rogue squadron 2 great launch game Great launch day, which we've talked about twice now on this podcast. A few weeks later, you had Melee. And then a couple weeks, or that same week, you also had Pikmin. Yeah. Within the first two months of the console being out, you had three of the biggest games on the console already there. Actually, maybe five of the biggest games already out. I think that maybe staggering that window a little more um, would have been better, even to a year. Like, I think Melee, having Melee close to the launch made a lot of sense. But maybe take Pikmin out of there. Maybe throw Wave Race a little later out. Like, you had a great launch day with, like, 11 games, 13, depending on where you lived. Uh, have Melee come out a few weeks later and then cancel all the games for the rest of the year. And then maybe February, March, start rolling out games like Pikmin, Wave Race for the summer, and then get into the library a bit. But I think just having all those games too close together was just I – don't, I don't like it when consoles do that. Like, it's the same thing with this like, – like I said with the Switch. Like, having Mario Odyssey, it's now been almost four years since Mario Odyssey came out. We've seen really nothing from Mario since then. Nope. Except for the 3D All-Stars collection, which I didn't even buy. And Zelda, too. Like, we had Breath of the Wild, which was great. And um, and now we have to wait, like, years for Breath of the Wild 2, it seems like, to come out. So it's just a little too much waiting between games, which did hurt the GameCube, especially towards the mid-to-end point. Like, there weren't as many AAA releases anymore. No. Yeah, that's and, and that, that hurt them big time for sure. Yeah. I think having a good a good gap between your AAA games is perfect for a console to do. And we've very rarely ever seen a console do it. The switch was off to a good start in the first year or two where they had a big game every two to three months, but it's slowed since then. Yes, no, definitely. Anyway, that's my, uh, my fourth point there. So my last one is very simple. It's just missing games, games that were missing from the GameCube that were on other consoles, um, specifically guitar hero came to mind. Yeah, That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. Guitar hero was a, it was a fad. Like, it was very quickly lived and died, but it sold a ton of PS2s, PS3s, plastic guitars. And Wii's. And Wii's. It was on Wii, and it was on... It, it could have run on GameCube. I firmly believe that Guitar Hero could have run on GameCube, and it was... I had to buy a PS2 to play Rock Band, Guitar Hero. Yeah. There were no music games on, on the console. There was there was Donkey Kong, uh, Jungle Beat. There were, and there were a couple of rhythm games. We, we are going to talk... We, we are having a rhythm game episode where we're going to talk about harmonics as well sure. because they do publish or develop one of the games on the gamecube yeah there was there was a dancing game on uh like a mario mix dance game which ddr was also missing like just these peripheral games that they really hit hard on the wii yeah. obviously um but i think guitar hero would have been nice to have had on the gamecube it would have been a late game but still nice to have another one is grand theft auto i know that gta was mostly a playstation 2 centric game in this generation but there was a gta game on ds 
Um, so that doesn't mean that it couldn't have been on a N Nintendo console, and it would have made a ton of sense to have had a GTA game on the GameCube, an M-rated console, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Although we uh, did talk about Rockstar and Nintendo's rocky relationship. Yes, they did not get along well. I'm just saying, like, to get games, like, these are the games that were missing that you need to have. Yeah, GTA 3 would have been very, very nice to have on, on the GameCube. Another game that's on my, on my list in my mind that I realize I don't have in my notes is also Star Wars Battlefront. The Battlefront Ooh, games yes. would have been sweet. Yes, Battlefront 1 and 2. One and we two. got uh, a great Star Wars game with Rogue Leader, but that was basically it. The rest of the Star Wars games were mediocre. They were okay. Uh, I would say they were fine, but they were nothing like Battlefront 1 and 2, which were genre-defying games at the time. Yeah, I think a, a good Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 would have been great. I love those games on PSP is where I played them. Another game or franchise missing, technically, is a mainline Final Fantasy game. Mm -hmm. missing and like missing from the n64 as well we did get crystal chronicles but the final fantasy games were selling very well on ps2 uh, they were selling consoles and to have like a game that wasn't just this chibi spin-off game would have been nice uh, i know final fantasy for the longest time was synonymous with sony so and they, they, they couldn't actually put right. a mainline fan because legal issues that was but. right yeah sony technically took over but again like with Nintendo losing Square Enix with the N64 generation. It would have been nice to have kind of tried to get them back yep. with the GameCube. And then overall, I feel like the GameCube is just missing RPGs and 2D platformers in general. Yeah, I mean, we do have things like Tales of Symphonia, um, uh, the Crystal Chronicles, and we also have uh, uh, Bat and Kaidos, uh, which are you know really good games and Nintendo published games. But that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's a few RPGs, and some of them aren't great. Like we we talked about before, like the uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh game on GameCube is technically an RPG. But like, just when you look back on some of these great consoles, like the SNES, the PlayStation One, the DS, they're chock full of RPGs. Yeah, that's a genre you can't ignore. And it was definitely ignored on the N64. It was a little better on GameCube, but you need to have more. And then 2D platformers. I think there's two. On the game, like there's full full two D platformers, yeah, because almost all of them are two are three D, if not two point five D. There's right. no actual. I don't. What ones are? I don't even know. I can't even think of my mind. Um, well, 2D. well, I'm thinking of the uh, what's the Alien game? Um, Alien Hominid. Alien Hominid. Thank you. Alien Hominid is one. And then, like, I mean, Worms. That's that's even not a, like, a, I, I mean, I would barely consider uh, Alien Hominid to be a, a platformer. It's yeah. it's a platformer, but a lot of it's like a shoot-em-up. Sure, it's a 2D shoot-em-up. Yeah. So in that case, I don't think there's any. Yeah. Like, any 2D platformers. Like, <laughs> because of this time, this was adventure and kart racing. Like, yeah. this is when everything had to have their adventure and kart racing. Yeah, game. so RTB, RPGs were lacking and 2D platformers were non-existent. And those yeah. are two big video game genres that it would have been nice to have seen more of those on the GameCube. Absolutely. So those are my points to save the GameCube. Mike, do you have any more left? My last point is just about publisher allocation and um, okay. just working with different publishers. So this is kind of this is kind of what I have here. Okay. <laughs> so the biggest thing is ditch the Disney contract. Ditch it hard. Got it. Put in a ditch. It's it's terrible. Uh, if you don't know already, we we haven't talked about Disney yet. Uh, we will be talking about the Disney uh, games that were on the GameCube because there were a bunch of them that were only for GameCube. Nintendo had a very special relationship with Disney for just a couple of years to have uh, these games solely come out on the GameCube, and these games did not do well at all. They tanked. Yeah. Uh, they uh, most of them were actually very very expensive today because of that reason. Not a lot got sold. Uh, and it didn't work for them. That partnership quickly died. And really, we haven't seen, other than Epic Mickey, we really haven't seen Nintendo and Disney work together at all for anything. 
No, they were good in the NES and the SNES Very days. Good. The Aladdin and Little Mermaid and Lion King and uh, the Goofy game as well. I'm, I'm blanking on what it's called on SNES are all really fun games. N64 didn't have any. GameCube, yeah, I know what you're talking about. All these Disney sports games that were just just head scratchers. And know? there was a couple. There's Donald Duck going quackers. <laughs> there's the PK on the shadows. Yeah. There's uh, uh, Mickey Mouse's Magical Mirror. All, all these games that didn't utilize these Disney characters like a Lilo and Stitch that had just come out, right. which would have been much more successful. Instead, they used Mickey and Donald and Goofy in this gang almost exclusively for these games, which felt so weird that they didn't want to bring in their other properties, which is now a Disney staple. You bring everybody in. Right. Uh, but at the time, it, it was just the, the, the old school Disney characters, which are fine to have in a game, but feel very weird to exclusively have them not use any of your properties from the early 2000s. I think Disney were trying to figure out what to do with those classic characters, and Epic Mickey was very good. Disney Infinity is what I think of. Like When I think sure. Disney games, I think Disney Infinity coming out in the next generation. I think they finally figured out, we just need to put all of these characters together. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, like, Let's go back to the, you know, like you said, the Mickey, Donald, and, and, and uh, I must have Daffy, the, uh, the Mickey, Donald, and Goofy gang. Like, you're right. I, I don't know why they didn't use more of the franchises that were coming out. It was a bit of a strange time for Disney, mm-hmm. the early 2000s. Like, the Pixar movies were great, um, but, like, the Disney movies, like, they were in a bit of a slump, especially commercially, like, and in the box office. Like, we had weird ones, like... Uh, I love Tarzan, but I don't know if it, it's a, like a critical success or anything. And they had like the Emperor's New Groove, yeah, Atlantis, and yeah, Lilo and Stitch is is very well loved now. But at the time, like it wasn't doing like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast numbers. Sure. So I don't think they knew what to do with these franchises and if they're gonna have this staying power like the classic characters do. So I think that's why we saw characters like Mickey Mouse still on the front of their soccer game. <laughs> and with those publishers, uh, and so ditching Disney. And then embracing EA, okay, I think is what you got to do in this generation because they poignantly didn't want to work with EA and EA didn't want to work with them on a lot of stuff. There's been a lot of bad blood with EA and Nintendo over the years. Clearly, I'm not going to talk about that in this episode because we can. That'll be a full episode on its own. Sure, uh, but I think Nintendo, who is always standoffish on things, they always want to be over your shoulder when uh, when you're working on a game, which is something EA does not like. Um, and one of the reasons why EA did not want to work with Nintendo on a lot of these games, they really had to embrace them in this in this generation. EA, who was a big player in the 90s, became the player in the 2000s yes. uh, for all the sports games, uh, for uh, so many shooters, everything. EA was, was eating these studios up uh, for better or for worse, and it was time to embrace them because... Uh, Nintendo lost out on a lot of games. Basically, all the EA Sports games other than Madden didn't come to GameCube after 2005. Uh, We didn't get an NHL 06. We didn't get um, MVP uh, Baseball. We didn't get anything like that after uh, a certain period. So that was sad to see. And then Burnout 3, we didn't get, even though that came out in 2004. Yeah. Uh, And EA had already published two Burnout games on the system. And they did put out, EA put out the last game on the GameCube, which will be our last episode with Madden 08 is the last game. And they, they were trying to a point, like they put Mario characters in some of their games, like Mario being in NBA Street mm-hmm. and uh, in the um, the SSX games as well, the Nintendo characters being there. So just some weird crossovers that I really would love to have seen them lean into more and continue to do. Yeah, because they did have that small partnership with with EA to to put their characters in that we like, like we talked about in the SSX episode. Yeah, but it was only for about a year and a half that they kept that partnership up, right. partnership up, and it, it quickly died out. And that's something that Nintendo really should have been pushing for. 
And they could have done it in a, a number of, of ways. I think making it easier to develop for the GameCube would have been probably number one. But I think I think that's the one of the big ones for publishers is yeah, ditching Disney, embracing EA. Yeah, I think I think all of our ideas here, Mike, really tie together to make a pretty successful console. Like the GameCube as a concept is great. Like we love it. We love the first party games for it. I think that what I'm seeing here is just you need to make a console that's more inviting for developers to develop for. Uh, making it easier for them to jump in and then just kind of growing those relationships like yep. just you know having open communication making the the uh, the development kits easy to use so that they can put out more games because nintendo because the gamecube only had 25 percent of what the ps2 had and then the ps2 sold like eight times more than the gamecube did so not a coincidence there but we did get the gamecube that we uh we obviously have today there was no revisions either to the hardware which is interesting yeah one of the few consoles that nintendo has ever put out that had no revisions other than maybe the uh panasonic cube the panasonic cube did come out and there were like random peripherals that you could connect to it and i think they did eventually take away a few ports but no there was never any expansion pack never any version two of the gamecube like it seems like these days uh consumers and gamers are always waiting for the next hardware revision but this was this was six years of the GameCube that came out day, day one. It was the same GameCube you bought if you chose to buy one in 2006. Yep. So a lot of fixes that could have been done, but uh, they weren't. So if we eventually invent time travel, this will mm-hmm. definitely be the first thing I do. Yeah, yeah. I will definitely be going back and uh, and telling and speaking well, uh, speaking Japanese, obviously. Of course. Uh, and I will be telling everyone uh, those ideas that we collected here today. Sounds good. Mike, these side missions have been a ton of fun. We need to get back to our regularly scheduled content starting next week. So why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect on episode 66 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. On episode 67, we are talking about James Bond games finally. Neil, the No Time to Die is finally coming out, and I am very excited uh, because that's going to be Daniel Craig's last role as James Bond. He's done five movies. He's done his time. I feel like Jen, Daniel Craig has been Bond for my entire life. <laughs> it's been oh, it's been 16 years, That's Neil. insane. He's the longest running Bond now by far, right? For years? Well, I think it's still Roger Moore. Really, yeah. eh? R- Roger Moore was like 60 when he stopped. Wow. So. <laughs> I remember Daniel Craig start. We were in high school. 2005 or 2006. It must have been just starting high school when he was uh, Bond for Casino Royale, yeah. which yeah. I enjoyed. I've, I haven't seen most of his movies, which I feel bad about. I feel like No Time to Die has been coming out for the last three years, <laughs> so I'm excited to finally have it be finished and i'm excited to see who the next bond will be and maybe i'll catch those movies who knows and we'll be talking about uh the bond games other than nightfire that are are on this console that includes agent underfire everything or nothing goldeneye rogue agent which is not good uh and and, uh, as well as uh as well as the game version of the movie from russia with love which features sean connery which is a very interesting topic to talk about and then we will also be talking about spy hunter Neil, okay. which is was supposed to be the american version of james bond almost gonna save that one gonna we'll talk about it on the episode very very interesting stuff that's gonna be really cool i'm excited and i think we're gonna have a friend of the show josh from the still loading podcast join us he's a big james bond fan he really wants to come on to talk about these games which I believe he's played all of them. That's right. And we're going to have a couple other friends as well. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. Looking forward to it. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the GameCube was cool podcast side mission part seven. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are the GameCube was cool. Follow us on Instagram. We are at the GameCube pod. Share us with your friends and family. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. 
product of what happens when you think inside the box. Okay.